Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Whitney Gray, SVP, Delos, discusses the role of office design in burnout. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Maura McShane. I'm with Humanize, and we are sponsoring this event today. Uh, I'm with Whitney Gray, who is the Senior Vice President for Delos. And here's a little background for you all so, uh, to set the stage today. Dr. Gray brings over a decade of expertise as a global leader in the intersection of health and built environment. At Delos, she leads the Delos Insights team. Am I saying that right? Uh, team focused on conducting research to support industry adoption of healthy building practices. She led the development of first case studies focused on the well building standard and helped to launch over 100 educational and training sessions related to well in over 30 countries, reaching over 15,000 professionals. She is the adjunct assistant professor at the Georgetown University. Dr. Gray received her PhD from the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Sweet. Can you hear me, guys? All right. I love this. We had a packed house for lunch. I always love giving presentations in the expo hall. It feels like I'm, like, you know, if I am successful at the end of this, you will buy my knives and this knife set and everything that I'm demoing. I'm not going to talk about knives. I'm going to talk about burnout. So let's start with Sheila. So you might recognize Sheila's day. At around 6.30, she wakes up. And she wakes up to her, um, her iPhone alarm going off and immediately looks at her phone to find out the list of things and the uh, buzzes and the texts that she's gotten throughout the night, which turns the brain on into what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? I'll just respond to a couple emails now. And before she knows it, you know, time has passed. She hasn't been able to get to the gym the way that she wanted to. She wasn't able to eat the healthy breakfast and she finds herself rushing out the front door. And she also didn't get that amazing moment in time where there wasn't traffic. So she's now stuck in traffic. And by the time she gets to the office, there's no time to actually work. So on average, people are interrupted every three minutes and it takes upwards of 11 to 25 minutes to return to those high levels of focused work. So she spends the whole afternoon trying to find time to figure out how to finish this project. And by 3.30, she pretty much gives up and she goes for what I like to call the legalized drug break, which is searching out caffeine and chocolate. I love that. <laughs> Amen, sister, chocolate. Um, which are drugs, right? They're going to stimulate your system to get through the rest of the day. She's still unable to focus and finally gives up to head home, faces that hour extra of traffic, and when she gets home, doesn't have any energy to go to the gym, sits on the couch, takes care of a few extra emails, and before she knows it, falls asleep on the couch. So if you are like Sheila or anyone else you know, has felt like you are getting less done at work than you wanted, you are physically emotionally tired at work, you're frustrated with parts of your job, and you're unable to cope with unexpected events. So if anything like that sounds familiar, and if we're all honest with ourselves at some point or the other, we've probably been one of these, right? So you're not alone. Um, in fact, stress is the number one issue around the world. When we surveyed over 30,000 people um, through the Wills Towers Watson study, when we asked them, you know, is air quality the most important thing in your office? You know, what about the smoking sensation program? Turns out, no. Stress, 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 stress. An inability to manage stress is the number one issue that we're seeing across workplaces. 
right? So how can we address workplace stress? Can you guys hear me okay? Okay, all right. So to give you an idea, you spend 90,000 hours of your life at work, uh, and you also spend 90% of your time indoors. So I always like to joke, but if you're 40 years old, and I won't make you raise your hands, but if you are, that's 36 years of your life have been spent indoors. So I'm going to argue we are the indoor generation. So where you choose to spend time is going to impact your overall health. So you also are spending the majority of that time at work. And so we have a lot of impact that we can make. Before I go on, I want to just take one moment to talk about stress because the researcher in me feels like I need to. So stress, so there's such thing as eustress or distress. Eustress is the good stress. Distress is the bad stress. You're unable to cope. You need stress. Your muscle rips under stress in order to grow. Stress can be a very positive thing. I don't know if anyone's been tracking studies on happiness, but I'm going to argue as a researcher, you're not always meant to be happy. You know, stress in our job makes us grow. It's our inability to cope. So it's when the stress exceeds our ability to cope is the problem. So if you bear with me, I'm going to tell you a story about our homo sapien friends and about the fight or flight response, right? So um, has anyone seen a bear recently? I love that. Where are you guys from? California, New Jersey. Were you in New Jersey? You were in Virginia. I was in Vancouver the other week, and they're all like, yep, yep, spotted a bear. And I'm like, wow, okay. That's like a hypothetical. But for most of us, for most of us um, and our ancestors, when we see a bear, what happens? Whoop, we're revving, okay? So this means heart rate, adrenal glands, right, are starting to pump out. Uh, galvanic skin response, that's the hair on your skin to make you look bigger, literally, your hair on your skin to make you look bigger for the bear so that the bear is intimidated. Pupil dilation goes down. Sexual function, get away from the bear. Get away from the bear before anything like that happens. And you hang, thank you, I appreciate that a lot. That was funny, it was an evolution joke. It's my second of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and also calories, you hang on to them because you do not know when you're gonna get away. So this works perfectly, your ancestors made it. It's good news you're all here today this indoor convention center. Um, and so the whole thing works as long as you rest, recover, and let down. And that's your parasympathetic system. So you rev and you recover. And you're very, very good at this. And we're very good at adapting. We can adapt to stress and as long as we let down and recover. The problem for most people today is it's not a bear that's causing that stress. It's our bosses. Some people are like, oh yeah, I can see that. I can see that immediately. It's awkward when you're like sitting next to your boss and I give this presentation. <laughs> um, and for a lot of us, it's not the boss, it's yourself. So we call that psychological stress or psychosocial from others. Why am I not a better employee, boss, leader, mother, partner, friend? So that stress, just rev, 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 rev. We look at that phone before we go to bed, rev, 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 and we don't let down and recover. And so when you don't let down recover and you sleep under that kind of stress, what happens? Teeth grinding, right? Ulcers, and sleep deeply and soundly. So we're seeing these aspects of distress happen across the population. But I want to point out the difference between acute stress and chronic stress. And chronic stress has long-term impacts right down to the genetic level. So as of 10 years ago, the field of epigenetics has determined that if you're exposed to certain types of stress or prolonged periods, chronic stress, then you can actually turn genes on. 
Has anyone sequenced their genes lately? Really? Oh, super fun. I bought it for everyone in my family for Christmas. Anyway, you can actually figure out if you have predisposition to certain genes. They may never like it's really wacky. Can you guys hear me? Okay, I can like hear like three of me right now, but all right. So anyway, um, your genetic sequence will come back and you can determine whether or not you have a predisposition for certain diseases that gene may never express. 15 years ago, the genes you have are the genes you have. We're now like, you may, ca may carry BRCA for breast cancer and never display. So your environmental exposures, your exposures to stress have a deep connection to genetic expression. So we're also understanding that stress in a four to eight week cycle can show up in your genetic sequence. Four to eight weeks. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, and so yes, we do know that there's long-term damage with stress. A lot of impacts. I will just point out people do impact stress and gain. So weight gain being a really significant issue. So what's the difference between stress and burnout? Okay. So stress is burnout's going to be a longer, prolonged experience of chronic stress. And I'll kind of break this down in a second, but it's a huge issue. So when we release this report, and I'm happy to send it to anyone if you guys send me your business cards. Um, and the name of our report was The Role of Design in Burnout. Um, and my argument is the World Health Organization came out this summer and said it's a $311 billion industry that has to deal with burnout, the impacts of burnout. And all of the stories that were written by the New York Times and Forbes, why don't you guess how many times they mentioned real estate or the physical environment or your investment in a healthy workplace? So my argument is we deserve a seat at the table. And as much as we talk about air quality and lighting quality, which I also equally think are very important, I don't think we spend enough time talking about mental health. And we're only going to see this issue increase and increase. And as much as people talk about productivity, well, the opposite side of productivity and engagement is going to be burnout. And too often when people are burned out, we, what we do is we victim blame. You're fat, your fault. We often do this, right? No. Oh, you're burned out. You're weak. Oh, I didn't burn out. I mean, and you did. So just, just check yourself. I mean, this is real. There's unconscious biases. If someone says I'm burning out, it's a call for help, right? But in our society, we're not very much like, what can I do to help? There's a lot of like, oh, you must not be able to manage. So drink some more wine. Binge watch some more Netflix. Here's some sleeping pills while you're at it. Um, and joking aside, I think we've all probably been in a situation where you just had to turn off right at the end of the day. So these are very you know, common things that humans do to try to, connect, you know, try to relate to their stress and try to recover and let down. But we do think there's a better way through the built environment. So we think there's a way to actually influence that. And I work very closely with the well-building standard. So we start talking about mental health. Um, we want to break down how can we actually design for mental well-being. So check this. When I say mental health, most people think mental disease. Actually, you kind of have to live without it. It's attached. That's why your neck is there. Physical body, mental health, it's all the same thing. You can't have no mental health in your life. It's a thing. You will go up and down throughout life, right? We will all deal with this. One in two people will deal with a mental health issue in their life. 20% of people are in treatment, and that's one in five teenagers, and those numbers are going up. Major depressive disorder takes 19.8 years on average for detection. So it's in the workplace. And increasingly, employers are paying for the workers' comp, right, in the back end of that. So kind of breaking this down a little bit further. 
So when people are demonstrating issues of burnout, we characterize this in a lot of different ways. Inefficacy, cynicism. It's a really big one. Oh, catch this stat. This is not a scientific stat, but I just can't help to tell you. The more emails that you see with swear words in them has been linked anecdotally to burnout. They can both be burned out, right? But just think about that. Think what it would take to write an email that you know is public, you know, it's going to be its record somewhere in which you're like, I can't deal with this. I, and, you know, and you're expressing it because you're so frustrated. That's that deep cynicism and emotional exhaustion. So burnout is actually your amygdala, right? So limbic brain is speaking to your prefrontal cortex, that's the decision maker, and your cingulate cortex, emotional center. And those links get a bit fried when you're burned out. The reason that's important is because when you're burned out, you will see people do this. Don't ask me one more thing. Just, just stop. I, I can't deal with it. Or you ask them something, and emotionally, it's too much. They're like, no, no, my whole day is planned. I've got to be here, and I've got to be there, and there's, just, there's no way I can do that. And you're like, I'm just asking something simple. Literally, the brain is taking you away from threat. It's like, get, this is like the hands up, right? Get me away. I cannot manage more stimuli. And your brain is having a very hard time with those connections. So when it comes to doing the research on this, we can't solve it all through design. But we can look at this very specific area called control. And how do you control your environment, right? So most people are told, sit down, shut up, and don't move. And humans are really bad at that one. They're too hot, they're too cold, it's too bright, it's not loud enough, it's not quiet enough, it's not hot enough, it's not cool enough. But if I give you control, you actually have a lot of ability to choose the places that are best for you. And choice is very critical when it comes to resilience and stress response. So maybe an optimal day, we like to think for Sheila, is that instead of waking up immediately to a blaring alarm that's telling her what to do and overstimulating that brain production, maybe there's a way to naturally wake up with some beautiful circadian lighting. And then from that, actually have some time to go to the gym, actually be able to get to work on time, and more importantly, win at work go to where she needs to go to get work done, which for everyone in this room, I'm going to argue, will be different at different times of the day for different reasons. We are not the same person when we wake up until when we go to sleep. Sometimes we like stimulus. Sometimes we need to get away from it. Right? We don't always want to be at Starbucks. And sometimes when we work at home alone for prolonged periods of time, we start talking to the cat. So you know, we need different stimulus at different times of the day. So our way in which Sheila can actually deal with these stressors, whether that's a respite or recovery room, interaction zones, or choosing where she wants to work throughout the day to get that work done and modulating her schedule a little bit better. So I'm going pretty fast through this stuff today. Um, the good news is we have a really extensive report on this, and it's the very beginning. So I invite anyone that's interested in this topic to reach out to me. We will share this research with you. So because I know my audience, uh, here's all the pretty pictures. So this has to do with the application. So in while we're going to look at control, internal locus of control, which means I can make the change I need. External means I have no control. So we're in design and control. We will look at adaptive spaces, stimuli management. If you're not familiar with that term, that's a really big one, right? How does space allow me to modulate my stimuli so I'm not constantly bombarded, right? For anyone in this room that's very sensitive to noise, a lot of people will be dealing right now, I am right now, dealing with 180 degrees and my brain is working very, very hard to manage to focus on you. 
The human ear, the only time we, re- we hear reverb in nature from our homo sapien friends was when? I talked about this earlier in my session. Um, the only time we hear reverb is in a cave, right? Or cavernous space. And why do we hear reverb? Because we need to figure out how perilous the space is. How deep is it? How far in? What's around the next corner? Yet we put ourselves in glass offices with glass walls, with you know polished concrete floors, and our ear is constantly working. And this is what I mean by stimuli. That is so unnecessary for the human ear, right? But all of that stuff over time is building and makes it very difficult for people to focus. These are simple solutions that we can look at if we think a little bit smarter. So this um, Lita Lewis is my co-presenter in this and a collaborator. And so these are a lot of her slides and looking at how you bring issues like different spatial types. We did a lot with stimuli management on acoustic zones. I can't encourage this enough. Get real smart on this. I don't think it's totally your job to figure out acoustics because there's a lot of human acoustical policy issues. But I do think that it can be designed and planned in such a way that you actually celebrate and encourage it, but also respect the fact that people are going to have different needs throughout the day, and you designate a work plan like this. This is public versus private facing. Assume, commit that this will happen, and where is it appropriate or not? Has anyone felt like someone was loudly speaking next to them and they did not want to hear? Did anyone feel like it was socially awkward to tell that boss of yours to shut up? It may come as no shock to you that I have no trouble whatsoever telling people about acoustical issues um, because I'm really, really bothered by it personally. It's like very hard for me to work. Socially, it's not acceptable for you to tell people to be quiet. That's changing. We allowed smoking like 15 years ago. Come on, people. So we're moving. You know, we're getting a more socially conscious sense. But unless it's designed in, you know, you can't assume that people's behaviors will always be that adaptable and self-conscious. We're going to look at a lot of materials in this. I mean, I can tell you right now, walking into a cafe, where is going to be a place to relax and where is going to be a place to be stressful? Restaurants love to be crowded and noisy. It actually makes you digest less. It makes you stressed more. It makes you turn over the table faster and makes you assume that it's a busy place. That's not always good for our health long term. So really thinking about absorptive materials. Um, so this is acoustical tiles, absorptive flooring, rugs, carpets. It's one of the first things I'm going to look at right, around sound. In well spaces, I've heard people tell me, which is amazing, that when they walk in, their ear is like resting for the first time. Just think about what that would feel like, particularly right now. Um, So noise blocking is another strategy for us. Sound masking, so I want to highlight here, anyone that's working in this space, pink and brown noise. Not just one constant white noise. That's not great for us either, right? We still, that still alerts attention. I was joking earlier, but this this is from an evolutionary standpoint. Your ear will always try to figure out what the new noise is until it knows where it's coming from. So it's a threat, it's an opportunity, or from an evolutionary perspective, it might be your future partner. And once you determine those three things, then you can go back to work. So, maybe, uh, and then you focus. Again, limbic brain people, so reptilian. We got some evolution there. Um, this is a great solution, so soundscaping. I love this. So people look at green walls and they think, oh, greenery and biophilia, and they, that's what they associate with. I would encourage you to associate it with sound as well. Think about the last time you walked in the woods, right, that reverb. And there's actually a lot of, of modular solutions where you can move the wall with you, depending on where your meeting is. So I think this is really exciting and what's happening, not to mention the air quality benefits. 
and think like humidity here too, right? Not just production of VOCs, so pretty exciting. I don't really have time today to touch on this, but I love it. So if anyone wants to ask me, um, I'm happy to talk about it later or offline. Um, is anyone familiar with positive psychology? So has anyone heard about Oprah's, if, say your three gratitudes every day? So that came from a lot of deep study around depression. And yes, there's a lot of drugs in the market for it. But there's also other social behavioral approaches that have been used. Long story short, positive psychology focuses on these positive aspects that you can do. So instead of focusing on what's broken or the problem and diagnosing it and treating it with drugs, you're looking at actually positive qualities. You're focusing on the positive and not the negative, right? I think there's a lot of work we can do in design here. A lot of work. And so this research has actually really moved forward and it's mostly known as Segelman's work out of University Pennsylvania. But this idea of joy, fun, awe, curiosity, gratitude, joy, and contentment. And I'm deeply trying to understand how spaces bring this. And not like as a cute hug. This is like we are trying to fundamentally understand how to build your resiliency in space so that when you're hit with those stressors, your tank is full. I always say your well-being tank is full. Just ask yourself the last time you walked into a space and had joy, or felt like you were part of something when you walked into space, or that you were content, or that you had a community. One of my favorite case studies was a person walking in and saying, it feels like the building cares about me, and they were a patient. We can do a lot better, and so this is going to be your resiliency. And ask yourself the next time you find yourself in this space, if it does, just make it a little easier to do all the things you have to do. I can't decrease stress in your life, but we can increase resiliency in our workplaces. Okay, pretty pictures, I promise, and I'll wrap up on this. So this is activity zoning. We're looking at beauty in design. So I'm really just asking you to kind of respond to some of these pictures. Based on what I say, a lot of you react to this, but there's also a lot of science that we're applying to understanding how these rest, recovery, interaction zones, right, zones of contentment can actually build resiliency. Sound blocking and sound absorbing. Immediately you know where to go for a private conversation. If you're dealing with emotional issues, trauma, right, a difficult conversation, immediately you're like, there's somewhere I can go. Sound blocking, sound absorbing, and activity zoning. So again, a huge push for materials and all of our materials friends in the room. This is another sound blocking, activity zoning. I'm, I don't think everyone can see some of these captions. So this is a co-working space with WeWork in Madrid. This is the Dublin Google office, which is a recharging support. Take your brain to parasympathetic once in the day. The recharge, right? The rest, recover, use different parts of the brain. A lot of research coming out. Soundscaping wall. Uh, this is Tyson's, another WeWork activity zoning and sound blocking. This is Art Desk in Paris, France. Activity zoning, sound absorption, um, SoundCloud HQ. This is McDonald's HQ by Gensler. General Catalyst, it's Rapture Studio designed it. Another activity recharging support, Mindspace. Um, GitHub here, activity zoning. Brain Embassy, which is kind of fun, biophilia and quiet zones. Uh, Recharge by Wingate Hughes, this is in DC. And ASID, we're very proud, is the first well platinum office in the world. Um, and also LEAD, they've pursued several certifications and we're very excited about 
It's a lot of data coming out. We're year four. So you'll start seeing me argue that a building can be healthier day 500 than day one. And I guess we should probably end on our headquarters. Um, please come visit us at Delos or the International Well Building Institute. We are Well Platinum, and we'll be releasing a lot more on our own case study to learn about our data and think about our ability to rest, recover, create resilience, support people, and hopefully design better for mental well-being. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.